The following is an exclusive presentation of Pirate Radio, the voice of the Pirate Nation. Welcome to the Pirate Radio Podcast, featuring special guests discussing a wide range of topics and personal stories. The Pirate Radio Podcast is presented by White Claw Hard Seltzer. Nothing tastes quite like it. Visit WhiteClaw.com today. White Claw Hard Seltzer, proudly distributed by Coastal Beverage. Please drink responsibly. Now live from the Pirate Radio Studio, here's Shirley Rhodes. Hello, and welcome to another episode of the Pirate Radio Podcast featuring Troy Dreyfus and the guy who knows a lot about college football, Phil Steele. The Pirate Radio Podcast is brought to you by White Claw Hard Seltzer. On today's podcast, Troy D. will have a great discussion on the state of college football and who Phil Steele thinks is going to be the dark horse in terms of who's going to win the national championship. So sit back and relax. Today's Pirate Radio podcast presented by White Claw Hard Seltzer starts right now. Well, an honor to have Phil Steele back with us here on the Pirate Radio podcast. Phil, welcome back. Hard to believe 15 years, my friend. Yeah, that's a a long time. Appreciate you having me on 15 years ago uh, when the magazine was just uh, getting rolling. Man, you guys, uh, and you, you, you and your crew do such an incredible job. Uh, you're one of our favorite people to talk to every year. So knowledgeable, and as I've always said, probably the most knowledgeable of anybody in the country as far as what you know about college football and pro football for that, but we like to focus on college football. So let's jump into it, Phil. Let's talk about, man, the, the really kind of the big story before we get into East Carolina and how you think some of uh, the local teams will do here. Uh, Ohio. Uh, Oklahoma and Texas letting the Big 12 know that they're not going to renew their uh, media grant of rights deal, which is really kind of the the first step if they decide to leave the conference. It's been reported now that obviously the SEC is very interested and that they will potentially be leaving for the SEC. The ripple effects for this in the world of college football could be huge, don't you think? Yeah, it definitely could be if that happens. You know, we'll we'll see what happens with the, how it shakes out, but. Uh, you know, I've always thought we were headed to four 16-team super conferences, uh, and uh, you know, it appears we're on that path. But I don't even know where the heck's going on. I don't think Oklahoma and Texas know what they're doing right now. Yeah, and I guess they have time to figure it out because they'll still have what at least four years left in the Big Twelve. Yeah, and it, they're talk about Texas to the Pac-12, and I I don't know what's going on. So it's tough for me to speculate on something I have no knowledge of. Yeah, what about Notre Dame? You think eventually they'll have to get into a conference, most likely ACC, where they're already affiliated with, just for a schedule. If all these conferences start to expand to sixteen, scheduling could become a problem. They may need to be in a conference just to be able to schedule games potentially. Well, if Notre Dame calls you and says they want to play a football game, do you think a lot of schools going to turn that one down? Well, that's true. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I think they'll be able to schedule their games. I don't think the conferences will go to 12-game schedules. And if Notre Dame's floating around there as a possible independent, I, I think they get in there. But, uh, you know, once again, I, I have no clue. what I think Notre Dame wants to remain independent. We'll have to see. Phil, uh, once again, talking to Phil Steele, the college football guru. His uh, magazine is on newsstands now. It's Phil Steele's college football 2021 preview uh jam-packed with information 352 pages and uh you can also get it online philsteel.com phil um a couple other big picture items the the name image and likeness deals the nil that went down recently for players so what's your take on that uh, I think it'll be the rich get richer, probably. Uh, and like Nick Saban said, we have no clue what what's going to happen exactly. But you got to think that the schools with the biggest boosters will land the biggest recruits. Yeah, and I, 
it seems like it has become a recruiting tool in many ways, kind of weaponized that, hey, if you've got a big program and you've got a big, let's, I'll just use a car dealer as an example, that, hey, you sign here, we've got a car dealer that'll do an NIL deal with you for a hundred grand. Right. And I, I think it's been going on for years, you know, all the way back to the 60s, yeah. where we've had these type of deals, but uh, now it'll just be out in the open. That's true. Good point. Phil Steele, once again, join us on the Pirate Radio Podcast. Let's talk college football, Phil. A lot of pan- folks listening to us right now are East Carolina University Pirate football fans. Uh, ECU has struggled over uh, the past few years, although kind of on an uptick now with Coach Houston, finished the year strong last season, and has really kind of inherited a program that he has had to rebuild. Uh, You've been out on the program for the last number of years, and rightfully so. It's been a tough go for East Carolina. What about this year, Phil? What is your outlook for East Carolina University football? I look for them to take a big step up this year. You know, it's third year for Coach Houston. Uh, You know, he doesn't have quite the size he wants on the defensive line, but it's much better than it was when he took over. And I think the whole program's in much better shape than it was when he took over. You know, last year they only had four returning starters on defense. Uh, Holt Naylor's didn't have quite the year that was expected out of him. And uh, we saw some transition. But I like the way, uh, well, first of all, East Carolina had a game taken away from them against Tulsa. They really beat Tulsa in that game. A couple of very questionable fumble calls. That may have helped them a little bit last year. And I thought they played a great game against Navy as well. They were so depleted for that game. To actually play Navy within four points was outstanding. Love the way they finished the year, though. Uh, they beat a depleted Temple team, but then knocked off Smoo, uh 52-38. And I think with 10 starters back on offense, 10 on defense, this is clearly Coach Houston's best team. He'll probably have to pull one upset this year to get to a bowl game, but uh, very capable of that, as he proved against SMU last year. Phil, I remember when Mike Houston was hired here, and one of his first comments was, hey, look, this is going to take a while to rebuild, you know, judge me in year three. Is I'll never forget he told me that off there. He's like, let's let's look at this at year three and, and take a look at it. Is that kind of your criteria? Is you, you watch college football programs across the country, especially when new coaches take over. It usually does take a few years before they can finally – some can do it quicker, but is it is three years a fair amount of time to be able to judge somebody? Yeah, generally, year three is when I look for coaches to hit their stride. And so, uh, you know, you've got three years of recruiting classes, really about two and a half years of recruiting classes, because that first year is not your full recruiting class. But now you've got your culture set up. You've got the uh, players, all the players on your team, uh, the majority of the players on the team are guys that you've recruited or guys that have stuck with the program and are clearly your guys now. So uh, year three has always been what I've looked at, and in the year of the trans, in the era of the transfer portal, I think it's going to be tougher for first-year head coaches to hold on to all the players. I think a lot of uh, players will say, "Hey, coaching change, I'm out of here," and uh, hit the road, much like at Tennessee right now, where Tennessee lost what 28 players uh, since October. So I, I think it's tougher for first-year head coaches now than it's, it's ever been before. But uh, year three is generally the year that I look for coaches to hit their stride. I see in your forecast in the book, uh, you have the Pirates make your coveted most improved list. Now, what does that mean to you? East Carolina finished three and six last year. Does that mean they, they get to four wins? Does that mean they're a bowl game in your perspective? What do you think? You know, back, uh, I think when I started the most improved list uh, 25 years ago, something like that, the magazine's been around for 27 years. It was just the teams I thought would improve the most. But then after writing the article each year about the most improved teams, I, I narrowed it down to teams that had a losing record last year 
that I think will be bowl eligible this year or make a bowl game this year. So I think this is the year that the Pirates uh, break through. I, I like the talent level they have overall. Like I said, they're going to have to pull an upset to get there, but I believe they're very capable of it. What do you think of the schedule for the Pirates, Phil, when you take a look at it? Not easy. I mean, when you look at the three, uh, the opening two games, App State and uh, South Carolina, those are extremely difficult games. And I think that South Carolina game is huge for both East Carolina and South Carolina. When you look at both their schedules this year, that's one of those swing games, and maybe the winner of that game makes a ball, and the loser of that game does not. So that's a huge game for East Carolina right out of the box. Uh, drawn Marshall week three is not easy, but uh, overall they avoid Tulsa and they avoid SMU, which I think is a plus this year because those are two of the top five teams in the in the conference. But uh, it's not an easy schedule, but it's it's probably on par with last year. We're talking with the college football guru, as I like to call him. He is Phil Steele. He is the author of Phil Steele's College Football Preview. The 2021 edition is on at newsstands now. Uh, Phil, love the book. Are you doing, uh, I know you in the past you've done a lot of stuff with ESPN. Uh, what, what current media deals do you have other than with your own publication and your own uh, website? Uh, currently working on something possibly with uh, IMG Learfield. They have taken over the uh, actual mailing and uh, shipping out of the magazine, which has really helped me a lot this year, freed up a lot of time. I'll probably be doing stuff with them this football season. Excellent. Love hearing uh, you during the season, too. Let's talk about the AAC. We we touched on East Carolina. What about the conference? What about the American Athletic Conference? How do you see that shaking out? Well, I tell you what, this is it it has been for the last couple years and is again this year the best of the group of five conferences. Uh, I think by far. And I, when I look at the AAC this year, I think they have a, a legitimate playoff contender in Cincinnati. And I'll, I'll tell you why. You know, Cincinnati last year finished number eight AP, and I believe they start in the top ten this year, which is a great place to start. They've got seven starters back on offense, seven starters back from a fantastic defense. In fact, I rate their defense number seven in the country. Desmond Ritter, their quarterback, is NFL caliber. And if they start the season, let's say number ten in the polls, you know, week three they play in. Indiana on the road, and if they can pull an upset, and it'd be a minor upset, but Indiana will be a ranked team, they probably move up to number nine, maybe number eight, and then two weeks later, after a bye, they play Notre Dame in South Bend. Notre Dame will be a top-ten team, beat them, they're probably up to seven or six, run the table in the schedule this year in the American Conference, and all of a sudden, a couple teams lose in front of them. They could actually make the playoff. And I'll say this, uh, you know, this year, if you take a look at all the schools, and I talked to about 110 of the 130 head coaches this year, almost every coach has 15, 16, 17 returning starters. They, a lot of them have veteran quarterbacks because everybody got that extra year of eligibility. But the four playoff teams from last year all have 9, 10, 11 returning starters. All of them lost their starting quarterbacks. So if there's ever a year for the pack to catch up to the top, top four, this would be it. And I think that opens up the door for Cincinnati a little bit. But the rest of the conference, very competitive. I mean, uh, UCF is probably going to get voted second place in the American Conference this year. They've got nine starters back on D. And don't knock their defense too bad for last year. Remember, at the end of the season, I think they had about two starters left from the beginning of the year due to uh, some dismissals, some opt-outs, and things like that. And that's when they were giving up 46 points to USF. I like the defense. They bring in a big Cat Bryant uh, from Auburn. They bring in Marco uh, Damio from Auburn on the defense. And offensively, uh, it, 
Coach Malzahn's done a great job bringing in Mark Anthony Richards at running back from Auburn. He brings in R.J. Harvey from Virginia, uh, Isaiah Bowser from Northwestern, a receiver. He brings in a Tennessee transfer, an Auburn transfer, uh, and the offensive line, another Tennessee transfer. So they're going to be a loaded team. Dylan Gabriel's back at quarterback. I think they're a legitimate contender. Houston. Now, Dana Holgerson hasn't had a, a, a usual first two years. His first year was a year where uh, everybody redshirted after week four. His second year, they missed their first five games due to COVID and then finally got to play and went three and five. This year, Houston's going to play up to its talent level. They're dangerous. SMU has got uh, Tanner Mordecai coming in at quarterback. I think he'll do just fine replacing Sean Bouchelle, and I, I believe that they are clearly one of the top teams. They also had Isaac Slade Matua from uh, Oregon, one of their top uh, linebackers that they added after the magazine came out. Tulsa was in the championship game last year, and when I talked to Coach Montgomery and went over the team with him, I asked him about the quarterback situation because it was a concern of mine, and he said he's not concerned about the quarterback situation. So that was a, a positive thing for Tulsa because last year I said I was concerned about their defense. They only had four returning starters, and he said, I'm not concerned about the defense, Phil, and they only allowed 333 yards per game. So I think their quarterback will be just fine, and they're a contender. And then how do you discount Memphis? Memphis has eight starters back on offense, eight on defense. They bring in Grant Gunnell, I think a big-time piece from Arizona at the quarterback position. Uh, they're a loaded team. And then, as mentioned, East Carolina, I think, is the, the best of the rest. But I could keep going on the American teams. Navy's going to be a vastly improved team. Coach Niamatololo said that um, – last year they didn't get the have contact and he thought that greatly affected his team they're a team that thrives on physicality he thought both he his team and temple's team were two very physical teams that were hurt by the lack of contact and those two teams are going to be much improved and then you know jeff scott year two at south florida they're improved this is a tough league Phil, you mentioned earlier you talked to uh, just about every head coach in the country. I think you said 110 out of the 130. I've asked Coach Houston before when he talked to you, hey, how'd your interview or how'd your conversation with Phil still go? And he's always like, man, incredible. This guy knows as much about our program as anybody. Uh, he really enjoys talking with you. I imagine most coaches do, and, and it can give you some perspective uh, from behind the scenes that you, you may not know about. What about the 20 that don't? I'm surprised. Are they kind of guys like Nick Saban that are just kind of too big time that I'm uh, that's been me to talk to someone if I don't have to is is that what this you know do you get to talk to Nick Saban or is he too big time yeah Nick Saban uh, two two things with Nick Saban uh, most of my coaches calls take about an hour maybe even an hour and a half because I go over every player on the team I'm not looking for a meet and greet hey coach how you feel about the team this year you know that type of thing what I do is I send my sheets over to them they have every single player on the team all my notes on every player all the stats on every player and I say okay coach put me in order tell me a little bit about the players you know each player that we go over with you know if a player moved I, I need to know who's first who's second who's third who's fourth who's fifth string at that position I go that deep with the coaches so Saban's not going to give me an hour of his time, and I don't need it, frankly. There's so much uh, out on Alabama. But, I mean, I do talk to coaches like uh, Jimbo Fisher and Lincoln Riley. Uh, they go over uh, their teams with me, Texas A&M, Oklahoma. So a lot of the, the big-time coaches do. But, no, I have not talked to Nick Saban. And then there's other coaches that are very secretive, like Adino Babers of Syracuse. I talked to him uh, once in the MAC, but uh, if you try to get any information on Syracuse about anything, uh, you're going to have a tough time. The writers that I talked to for Syracuse are like, wow, it's tough to they, – they wouldn't even release a roster until the end of May this year. So it's uh, – 
some coaches are just tight-lipped like that. And then there's a couple of first-year head coaches. Maybe they don't know their team as well as they'd like to, and, and I'm going to go really in-depth on their team with them. So uh, some first-year co- head coaches yeah. didn't get to talk to. So it's it's sort of a mix like that. But, yeah, yeah. so Saban's in one category. Dino Babers types are in another category, and first-year head coaches are in the other. And then some we just run out of time. There were yeah. a couple of schools I really wanted to talk to, and they wanted to talk to me, but all of a sudden we got seven days till the magazine goes to the press and we couldn't get it in. Right. It is amazing the uh, amount of homework that you do, and, and I wanted folks to know the behind the scenes. It's just incredible. Not just preseason, but during the year, too. On page two of the book, you have a picture of how you watch games, and I believe it's uh, 12 TVs you have set up, and you can watch 12 games at once. I showed that to my sons. I have twin boys that are 13 years old, Phil, and, and I said, look at Phil. I'm going to have Phil Steele on. They check this out. This is how he watches football, because they love college football, too. They're like, Dad, how does he do it? How can he watch that many games at once? So I'll ask you, Phil, how do you do it? How do you watch 12 games at one time? Well, the beautiful thing is that uh, most games, you know, the play takes five to seven seconds, and then there's usually the downtime, you know, maybe uh, 15, 20 seconds till the next play gets off. So at the most, you've got three plays running at a time. I drink a lot of Diet Mountain Dew. I'm a very focused individual, <laughs> so I can I can sit there and focus on 12 TVs all day long. And in reality, you know, I've got my four TVs directly in front of me that I could tell you every play of the game. If you ask me two days after the game what happened on this drive, I could tell you. Then I got the next ring there where I could tell you probably every other play. And then the final three TVs out there, I, I glance at them. I'm keeping up with them. I'm watching their score. But I could probably only tell tell you every third play and that's where during the week those games that are out there on that outer ring I'll watch the game and listen to the announcers and really get into those games and watch them thoroughly that way but uh, I, I do keep track of all the games and it, it helps you with the ebbs and flows because you know a lot of times the final scores are misleading and I can I can tell misleading final scores because I'll be like hey that team was up late third quarter I can't believe they lost by 24 points you know one of those type of things. Phil, we got a lot of uh, friends that you know like the ACC around here too. I'll throw an olive branch out to them. Other than Clemson, how do you see the North Carolina Tar Heels, NC State Wolfpack, uh, Duke Blue Devils, and even uh, Wake Forest, even Deacons looking this year? Well, let's start with NC State. Uh, they are loaded. They are the second best team in the uh, Atlantic Division. They've got practically everybody back. Nineteen starters. Devin Leary is going to be healthy at quarterback. Love the running back room. thing I don't like about NC State is their damn schedule. They have to play Mississippi State on the road. They, of course, play Clemson. They get them at home, which means one of your winnable games is going to be on the road. Uh, then out of the Coastal, they draw Miami and North Carolina, the top two teams. So I, I hate their schedule, but I think they're the second most talented team in the Atlantic. Now, as far as North Carolina goes, the biggest question mark is, how do you replace a couple of thousand-yard running backs in your top two receivers from last year? The receivers, I think, are going to be replaceable because Sam Howell throwing the football, I think that his top two receivers this year will match last year's De'Ami Brown and Daz Newsome stat-wise. Uh, but the running backs concern me a little bit. I don't think they're going to have 2,000-yard rushers that combine to average about 7.5 yards per carry. They'll be good with Ty Chandler and company back there, but the running back position a little bit weaker. However, the offensive line's stronger, and the defense for North Carolina, they've got size, speed, 
speed, athleticism. These guys look good getting off the bus. It's going to be the best defense they've had under Mac Brown, and they are a legitimate contender with Clemson in the uh, ACC and my favorite to win the Coastal. Duke, I mean, that last year was just a nightmare season. Minus 19 in turnovers. Everything that could go wrong went wrong for them. They'll be a much improved team this year, but they're playing in a, a brutal division there, in the Coastal Division, uh, where almost any of those teams uh, could win it. So I, I think Duke's going to finish towards the bottom of the Coastal this year, but they will be a much improved team. And, you know, Cutcliffe's a guy who develops players, and I think the fact he didn't have spring and didn't have that time to develop the players last year really affected him. And finally, with Wake Forest, talking to Coach Clawson, I I believe I've talked to Coach Clawson every single year that he has been a head coach, and every year I pick his team low, and every year he finishes above where I am, and every year he lets me know when he talks to me on the phone. But this year he made an interesting point to me. And if you look at Wake Forest end of the season, the last three, four years, they usually lose some games down the stretch. And he said, Phil, we lose those games because we're so thin and we just don't have it at the end of the year. But this year, they went three deep in spring. So he feels that they'll actually have the depth late in the year to win those games. And unlike NC State, Wake Forest plays a very manageable schedule. They don't have to play Miami of Florida. Uh, and they play Clemson, but they play them on the road, which means they get the key games at home. So I, they are my number six most improved team in the country. I think they make a big jump this year. Phil, what do you think about the new uh, expanded playoff format? Now, when exactly is that going into effect? The uh... it, It'll probably be two years. They haven't made the official announcement. Yeah. It may, may even be as early as next year. I'm a four-team playoff guy, uh, Troy, but here's the thing. Uh, the, the top four got stale, so that's why they're going to 12. Yeah. But Clawson made a, a very interesting point at ACC Media Days. Uh, in the fact that he said uh, this may hurt the Bulls. And the Bulls are, I always wanted to keep the Bulls intact because really it's a reward at the end of the season going to these bowl games. And it's a reward for a lot of the teams out there. I mean, there are like 60 teams that get to go to bowls. Well, if you just have 12 playoffs and the Bulls become insignificant, I think that hurts a little bit. I also think it hurts the regular season of college football. It even hurts the uh, the championship games. Let's say this year Alabama's playing Georgia and each have zero or one loss, and uh, the winner of the SEC title game is going to the playoff, and the loser's most likely out of it, right? It's an all-or-nothing game. But if you go to a 12-team playoff, let's face it, both teams are in the playoff. Does it really matter? Do you rest your players for the playoff? Is it even worth playing the uh, SEC championship game anymore? So those would be the questions, but at least we'll get some new names in the mix. Yeah, definitely. And uh, quickly before we run out of time, as you look into the crystal ball, it's a lot of the usual suspects as potential national champions. Who do you uh, like this year as your as your reigning champion? Yeah, I went way out on a limb here, Troy. I, I picked uh, Alabama, <laughs> Clemson, Ohio State, and Oklahoma for my top four. So how's that for being a risk? Well, you know, uh, look, you got to go with what the, the teams that win, and they're the ones that are most likely to be there. Yeah, it, but I did go out of the box for my champ this year. I went with Oklahoma. Okay, so, wow. Lincoln Riley getting a, getting a natty. Yeah, they haven't won national title since 2000. So what are we talking, 21 years here? Yeah. Uh, and the reason I think they do it is in Lincoln Riley's first three years, he had an experienced quarterback, and he always has that potent offense, right? So the first three years with an experienced quarterback, he had two Heisman winners and a Heisman finalist. This year he's got that experienced quarterback again and Spencer Rattler. They've got a dynamic. They've got my number one offensive line, my number uh, two receivers, my number four running backs in the country. They are loaded offensively. But when they've got to the playoff, 
the first three years, they've given up 54, 45, and 63 points. That's why they've not got knocked out. But this year, you know, last year Oklahoma allowed less yards per game than Alabama did. They only allowed 21 points per game. They actually started playing defense, and this year they've got eight starters back on defense. They got my number three defensive line. They got my number nine set of linebackers and number three DBs. So they actually have a top five defense to go along with that offense. And I mentioned earlier that all the teams that were in the playoff last year are inexperienced with first-year starting quarterbacks and 9, 10, 11 starters. Oklahoma's got 15 returning starters and a veteran QB. I think they win it all this year. All right, Phil, let's play a little speed round before you go. Uh, I'll ask you a question. You reel off some teams. Uh, first, let's get your surprise teams of the year, teams to look out for. Who should uh, we keep an eye on? Uh, the two big surprise teams are non-top-10 teams that I think have a shot at the playoff are Wisconsin and Washington. Both teams have the schedule to potentially be favored in all 12 games this year, and they also have the talent to get there. And, you know, if Washington runs the table, they'll make the playoff. If Wisconsin gets to the Big Ten title game, they've given Ohio State a test each of the last two times they've got there. So non-top ten team to make the playoff, Washington and Wisconsin. All right, and in this day and age, uh, what do you like? Which teams do you like against the spread? Who, uh, who seems to be good at covering the spread? You know, it varies year to year, and the main thing is the lines makers. The lines makers uh, actually, uh, what they do is they adjust. I remember we went through a stretch. The San Francisco 49ers were gold as an away favorite for like four straight years, and the one year they were favored by less than three points on the road five times, and they won four of those games by three points. The next year they were favored on the road by four points. They won four of the road games by three points, but this time they lost those games against the spread. So Vegas is pretty crafty at uh, adjusting the spreads. Phil, we talk about college football always with you, but you do cover pro football or have in the past. I assume you're doing the book for the NFL again? Nope, no, no NFL magazine. Oh, man. Detroit, talking to all these coaches, taking up a lot yeah. of time. And I, I'm a college guy now. That's okay. Well, I was going to say, I don't know how you were able to do both. But uh, <laughs> if you were going to cover the NFL, I was going to ask you your pick on the uh, what you thought about the Bears and pick your brain about Justin Fields as their new QB. Well, I think it's a, probably a good fit, especially. And I was surprised they struggled last year at the quarterback position. But uh, it should be a good fit for, for the Bears this year. But, uh, you know, like I said, I, I spend about 95% of my time on college football. And uh, you could, if you ask me anything about the NBA, Troy, you're going to get blank air. <laughs> well, I couldn't even tell you the top I, players. Well, don't worry. I'm not going to ask you anything about the NBA because I don't know what to ask you. I don't follow it either. All right, uh, Phil, what do you, before I let you go, what do you do for fun? What are your hobbies nowadays? I like to spend time with my child. She's 15. We like to go to Cedar Point and you know, ride all the, uh, the Cedar Point uh, roller coasters that they have there. And uh, that, that's just about it. I, there's not a lot of free time. So uh, anything I could spend, any time I can spend with my child is fun. All right. That's awesome. For folks listening, once again, Phil Steele, uh, the legend in the college football business. How can folks uh, get your book this year, Phil? How can they order it online? How can uh, they be a part of what you're doing during the season? I appreciate that, Troy. And it's 352 pages. It's like getting 130 different media guides rolled into one, except it's even better because all the information's on the same spot every page. Quick, easy reference. And as you touched on, we give the same amount of coverage on East Carolina or Akron, for that matter, that we do on Oklahoma and Alabama. Two full pages, everything in the same spot. Now, if you're out and about, we're exclusively this year at Barnes & Noble and Books A Million. So head out to your local Barnes & Noble, your local Books A Million. Problem this year, every time they get 
get the magazines on the shelf, they're selling out so fast. So it takes them about three, four days to get back in. And we've been uh, we've sold out in a lot of places. So if you do encounter that at Barnes & Noble Books A Million, go online. Go to philsteel.com. If you order the magazine there, we ship it out two-day FedEx. You'll have it in your hands in a couple of days. So that's Barnes & Noble, Books A Million, or philsteel.com. Yeah, Phil, I picked it up at uh, the Barnes & Noble in Greenville last night, and it was like they only had two copies left. I, I hope that, I'm sure they'll get more in, but uh, man, the thing is flying off the shelf. So a very popular book, and really the best one out of all the preseason magazines, uh, pound for pound, as far as I'm concerned. You do such an awesome job. Great to have you here with us as always and uh, I just want to thank you for your time and look forward to catching up with you again down the road and Troy I'm looking forward to doing this with you for another 15 years so, absolutely uh, th- thanks for having me on the first 15 my friend God bless you and we'll talk again soon and that was another great episode of the Pirate Radio Podcast with Troy Dreyfus and his special guest Phil Steele special thanks to our sponsor White Claw Hard Seltzer look for White Claw at your favorite retailer next time you're out shopping White Claw Hard Seltzer available in five fruit flavors two grams of carbs gluten free and 100 calories and nothing tastes quite like it we'll be back very soon with another edition of the Pirate Radio Podcast in the meantime be sure to subscribe to our podcast in your Apple store you can visit our website at pr927fm.com and follow us on social media to keep up with the latest news and information. Until next time, have a great day, everyone. You have been listening to the Pirate Radio Podcast, brought to you by White Claw Hard Seltzer. Nothing tastes quite like it. Visit whiteclaw.com today. White Claw Hard Seltzer, proudly distributed by Coastal Beverage. Please drink responsibly. The Pirate Radio Podcast is an exclusive presentation by Pirate Radio, the voice of the Pirate Nation.